um, or most, what I discovered, Brian, was most people agreed with us that they were not victims, they were survivors. But there were uh, a fair number who did seem to embrace this victim label. And I didn't get it, but but they were proud to call themselves victims. They were interested in finding someone to blame. Um, they wanted someone to make it right. That was a way of dealing with their pain. And that's certainly a choice. But what I discovered was that the people who embraced the victim label were not necessarily the people who lost the most in the fire. I interviewed two families who had each lost three loved ones in the fire. They were not the bitter ones. What they told me was our daughter, our sister, our mother, our father, they would not have wanted us to spend the rest of our lives being miserable and sad and bitter. They would want us to be happy. They would want us to move forward. And one mother who lost a 16-year-old daughter said to me, the fire took so much from us, we're not going to give it anymore. That's Sandra Younger, and I'm Brian Falchuk. The Do-A-Day Podcast. Will you hear from the most inspiring people who have been through hard times, overcome them, and have turned around to help others with what they've learned? I'm your host, Brian Falchuk. I know because I've lived it myself. I've written about it in my book, Do A Day, and that's why I'm bringing you this show. Remember, today's a new day. Go out and do it. Hey, day doers. Welcome to another episode of the Do A Day podcast, where I bring you the most inspiring people who have been through some serious challenges and overcome them. And that's exactly what I've got for you today. One, I first heard the story of Sandra Younger, who's my guest. I was pretty blown away. And part of it is because it's such a, a powerful story of what she's lived through, but also was pretty timely and topical because I heard about it when the news about the California wildfires in 2018 was really at its peak. And being as my day job is in insurance, you know, I, I've seen a lot of what's going on and I've heard a lot of direct stories of people that are living through it. So I think that just made her story resonate with me even more, but it's pretty impressive stuff. Sandra is, as I said, a survivor of California wildfires, which at the time they were the biggest wildfires the state had ever seen. But since then, there have been even bigger ones, which is just hard to believe and, and absolutely crazy. Sandra shares her story of her escape, the impact, the feelings, the emotions, and what it sparked for her in terms of understanding how to overcome. And it's, uh, it's a pretty amazing approach. It's, it has a lot of humility a lot of depth and understanding. And look, she's had a lot of time to reflect on it. So she's kind of helping you cut out the middleman to understand how do you get through something like that yourself. And she calls it the comeback formula, which she shares in her comeback formula guidebook. Um, she shared it all over the place. She's been on Dateline, on NBC, CBC, PBS, ABC, CBS, Fox, um, you know, all over the place. She's been on a, a ton of podcasts, including um, a few that I've been on as well, uh, like Positive Productivity and Boss Mom. I was on Boss Dad because I'm not a mom. Um, but the way that I found her was through Bruce Langford's Mindfulness Mode podcast. Bruce and I are friends, and he, after he interviewed her, he's like, you know, you have to meet her. 
She's a total fit for your show, and he's spot on. Sandra's also the author of The Fire Outside My Window, a survivor tells the story of California's epic cedar fire. She's a resilience mentor. I mean, look, resilience is like exactly what she's lived through and, and trained in firsthand. And uh, a public speaker, and she does workshops. And if you hear her message, it's amazing. But then if you put yourself in her shoes for what she's gone through, it's that much more powerful. So with that, let's jump into this episode with Sandra Younger. I know you will get so much out of it. Sandra Younger, thank you so much for joining me today. Brian, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, so we, we have to at least acknowledge um, Bruce Langford for making the connection. Big thanks to Bruce. I was saying before, he's Canadian, so you know he's a good guy. But he, He's <laughs> so nice. Has, he yeah. has to be nice, but he's extra nice. Yes. Um, <laughs> and I knew as I looked into your story, which we are obviously going to get into pretty pretty seriously today, um, you were just exactly what the show is about. You've got this incredible um, tragedy, journey, story. I, I don't know what right word to use to describe it, and I guess I should let you describe it, but this event that you went through that could be, it could be the ending kind of moment, or it could be a re rebirth kind of moment, and that ultimately is the choice that we all face you made a choice and, and you've now turned around and you're doing so much for so many others out of your story to help them. So I am so excited to get into it. Well, thank you. Um, before, well, not before, I just kind of am not saying anything about what your story is and <laughs> we should just cut right to the chase. Will you, we like, I'm trying to be suspenseful, but we should just cut into it. So what, yeah, let's cut the suspense. Let's do, so yeah, tell your story. My story came out of a true blue disaster. I woke up in the middle of the night in the middle of a horrific wildfire. And for 14 years, it was the biggest wildfire in California history. But since then, there have been a couple of fires that have eclipsed it. Mm. Still, it was an epic event and we barely escaped with our lives. Oh. So when when was this? This was 15 years ago now. This was 2003. I bet you have the exact date in your mind. I do. Yeah. I have the, of course. Yeah. It was our personal 9-11, right? It was October 26, 2003. A very windy, hot, um, scary kind of night when someone way out in the boonies, 15, at least 15 miles away from us, got lost. A hunter got lost, lit a signal fire, and he lit it in exactly the wrong place under exactly the wrong conditions. And it turned into a catastrophic fire that moved faster than anyone could remember a fire moving before. So the emergency crews were not able to get out in front of it and warn everyone. There was no official evacuation in our area. We just woke up around three o'clock and we saw fire outside of our windows. We lived on the side of a mountain in a beautiful canyon about 30 miles outside of San Diego, California, called Wildcat Canyon. And here was fire all across the mountain on the other side of the canyon from us, and this glow deep in the bottom of the canyon that told us, Brian, the fire was moving toward us. It was on our wow. side. It was leaping up slope toward us, and we knew we should have already been out of there. And fire goes uphill unbelievably fast. It tends to go uphill fast. 
fast, faster most of the so we just grabbed our animals we had these two ginormous furry dogs newfoundland dogs if you don't know the breed they wow. black st Bernard. <laughs> yeah so we we grabbed them and we had a crazy little cockatiel named chelsea we stuffed her in a traveling cage i grabbed a few photographs up the dressers a few photographs up the wall threw them into a laundry basket that i snatched out of the garage and we jumped in the closest car which happened to be my little Acura Coupe. We wished that we could have taken my husband Bob's great big Chevy Suburban, but we couldn't find the keys to that. So there's a oh, little man. tip for all of our listeners is know where your car keys are at night, oh, just gosh. in case you have to evacuate before you wake up. So we're in this car, I'm driving, and as we back out, we see that there's a big wall of white light and flames approaching our house, wrapping around our house, and we're surrounded by tornadoes of red swirling embers. And we just knew that this beautiful house, where, by the way, we'd only lived for seven months after abandoning, yes, we had abandoned the suburbs um, and decided to try something new and loved being out there in this canyon. So beautiful, such an incredible view all the way to Mexico, the wildlife, it was wonderful. And now it was all burning. But we couldn't stay. We had to leave and there was only one way out. So we headed down this precipitous road that was literally cut into the side of the mountain. And just as I got to the most treacherous part of this little tiny ribbon of asphalt, we hit the smoke. And you know, Brian, how sometimes when you're flying and you go through a cloud and you look out the window and there's just nothing but cloud. Yeah. That's the way it is when you're caught in a big cloud of smoke too. And you can't see anything. And I started to scream, I can't see the road. And my husband said, well, you're just going to have to remember where it is. And I said, but, but I can't see it. I, I can't see anything. And he said, and here comes the comic relief of this story. He said, well, just don't wreck the car. <laughs> Well, it's good he was able to bring a little levity to it, but my God. Yeah. Well, he wasn't trying to bring, well, he wasn't trying for levity. What he was really saying was, do not drive off the side of this mountain. Right. Right. It's, yeah. So, right at this moment. And it's your only way out. It's our only way out. There was only one way out, and there was no staying. We could not have stayed and survived. And that was pretty clear. So, right at this moment, when we're lost in the smoke and we're teetering on the side of the mountain, a bobcat jumped out of the brush right in front of my headlight. He was running from the fire too. And I saw this cat just for an instant in my headlight. And then he dashed off into the smoke and something in me knew that the cat was on the road and something in me knew to follow him or her. We don't know. So I followed this cat, and when I got to the point where the cat had disappeared into the smoke, then I could finally see something. I saw these two fields of red smears below me and this dark place in between. And I knew that everything ahead of me was on fire, and the dark place was the road. So I steered for the dark place. And as we would say in the South, where I grew up in North Carolina, when you got to steer for the dark place— and the darkness becomes your salvation, 
there's a sermon in there somewhere, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I did. And that is how we made it out. We negotiated between two lines of fire for about a mile and wow. popped out into clear night. Um, it was dicey getting out and 12 of our neighbors did not make it. What? Not, not just their houses, the people. They lost their lives in the fire. Oh my God. We lost 17 people that week of um, multiple fires burning in San Diego. And 12 of them lived in Wildcat Canyon right around us. So right away, we felt so blessed. And when people talked about our tragedy, we thought, what tragedy? It was a tragedy for our house. We lost our home. Yeah. But um, we did not lose our lives. And we did not lose our animals. So that is why I recoiled when people immediately labeled me fire victim, which people do. You can see in the news right now, I'll bet you, if you look at the news, uh, at any given moment, the disaster du jour, people are being labeled victims, which is a truly disempowering label because it indicates that you've been conquered, that you've been defeated. And that is not how we felt. We felt that we were survivors, that we had come through smoke and fire and survived, and we were going to come back and we were going to rebuild. And that is how I got so interested in the topic of resilience. I'm, I'm stuck right now because we're, <laughs> so we're recording this quite a bit before it comes out. And today, um, one of the pieces of news that I read this morning was about the current largest California wildfires, which I hope nothing's ever bigger than what's going on right now. A, nobody's died yet. Um, there's been a lot of loss. Mm -hmm. But in this one moment where, you know, I'm just thinking if you had spent three more minutes or two minutes or one minute looking for the keys to the Suburban, if that bobcat didn't yeah. pop out when it did, yeah, it's unbelievable. Just all of those little moments of. So when you talk about not being defeated, uh, the disempowering label of, of the word victim that, you, you know, not being conquered, you overcame. I mean, the sheer amount of things working against you that you persevered through, that you overcame, that you conquered mm -hmm. all the right turns that you made. I could see why the word victim is just the opposite of how you're feeling that it's just like triumphant. Yes, exactly. Um, and I don't ascribe all of those, those uh, fortuitous turns of events to my own decision-making. Most of it was truly miraculous. Sure. Um, I was pretty proud of my driving. You yeah. Know? You, you Something don't, to be said for that. <laughs> you don't really know whether or not you can drive down a mountain through smoke and fire until yeah. you have to do it. But um, what I realized was that that, that was the beginning of the journey, right? And um, as I began to gain some distance on that event, um, and as I began to research the book that I wrote about, about that called The Fire Outside My Window, I discovered a lot of people, um, or most, what I discovered, Brian, was most people agreed with us that they were not victims, they were survivors. Mm. But there were uh, a fair number who did seem to embrace this victim label. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get it, but, but they 
were proud to call themselves victims. They were interested in finding someone to blame. Mm. Um, they wanted someone to make it right. That was a way of dealing with their pain. And that's certainly a choice. But what I discovered was that the people who embraced the victim label were not necessarily the people who lost the most in the fire. Remember I told you we lost 17 people, isn't it? We lost those 17 people. And in the course of researching my book, um, I interviewed two families who had each lost three loved ones in the fire. Can you imagine? And guess what? They were not the bitter ones. What they told me was, our daughter, our sister, our mother, our father, they would not have wanted us to spend the rest of our lives being miserable and sad and bitter. Mm. They would want us to be happy. They would want us to move forward. And one mother who lost a 16-year-old daughter, let that sink in, said to me, the fire took so much from us. We're not going to give it anymore. We're not going to give it our future. We're not going to give it our joy. And her message is as good a message as any that I would have for these new members of the club that nobody wants to join that are coming yeah. in right now as a result of all of these ongoing fires as we're speaking. You do not have to be a victim. You get to decide whether you want to accept that label or whether you want to think of yourself as a survivor. Now, the man who was the most bitter, the man who was the most um, proud, it seemed, of the victim label, had lost a detached garage. And um, that was surprising to me. (laughs) Wow, um, you didn't lose your home. You didn't lose your animals, you didn't lose your family. And yet he was by far the most bitter person I met. That's how I knew that there's an element of choice involved in any comeback journey. Yeah. You know, um, one of the things that I've heard people talk about before in this context is not just fire loss, but that you almost have to lose everything to be able to see past it. And it's and whether that's true or not, there's an aspect of the people who lost the most, the most profound loss, the human loss versus the things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like they had the, the, um, the, I'm trying not to judge the people who lost less, but the pettiness of the purely material loss mm-hmm. was so irrelevant to them anymore. And the ones who that's all they could focus on, they stayed in that material mindset. Perhaps. I, I don't know. Uh, I do think there's something to be said for sometimes we focus on things that are small enough that we can wrap our heads around it yeah. rather than having to deal with the unfathomable depth of of true grief, yeah. right? Um, but I don't think we necessarily have to lose everything to get the message because yeah. I didn't lose everything. Right. So Some you're... people would say you did, but I thought, you know what? I lost my house and I lost my possessions, but most of that I can replace. Yeah. You didn't lose your husband. You didn't lose your didn't. pets. So I the, didn't. The lives directly within your house, everyone made it. Yeah. Out. 
And I got the message without having to lose loved ones. So I think that, um, well, you know, if I thought that it would take everything, if I thought it would take losing everything, I wouldn't be out there today um, telling people, here's how you can be more resilient. Well, sure. There's no, there's no actionable, well, we would hope no actionable lesson in that. And you're, you're proof positive that it doesn't have to be, which gets right back to the idea of the word choice, which I noticed you use that. I use that myself. And there are some people I use it with who get offended. You know, it's, really? I, didn't, I didn't choose for my house to burn down. I didn't choose for them to do this to me. I didn't choose for that guy to make a signal, to get lost and make a signal. That's plan. right. We don't get to choose that part. No, you didn't we choose. We don't always get to choose what happens to right. us. What we get to choose is our response. Or as I like to say, we get to choose our story. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Stop. Okay. Let's talk about resilience. So you're saying that's that's the word that came through in all this for you. Yeah. So so when I met this guy who had lost his garage and he was so bitter and um, so attached to this victim label, he was such a gift to me because he helped me see that we do have the power to choose our story going forward, regardless of what's happened to us. And he helped me see that you could be a victim if you wanted to be, or you could be a survivor. And survivors have this funny way of turning into victors in the end, right? So that also made me wonder if there were other elements of choice, other things we could do on our own to smooth and speed our recovery journey, which I like to call the comeback journey, right? So I started doing a little research because we didn't mention this at first, but my background is in journalism. And I've been a journalist for a long, long time, which is why I felt that it was my job to write a book and tell this whole story. So I, uh, journalists do research. That's what we do. We have a question and um, we start looking into it. And I thought, what else can we do to help ourselves? And I found this entire body of research that I was oblivious to before this called resilience. It's mostly in the positive psychology sphere. And people have done all kinds of studies, empirical scientific studies on different practices, principles that actually build resilience. So this was the first time I knew that we can build resilience like we build a physical muscle. I knew that resilience was innate to our personalities. That's how we survive, right? It's survival instinct. It's how I got off that mountain. Survival instinct really kicks in when you're in a situation like that. But I didn't know you could build it by purposeful practices. So I looked at this research and I found that there were a lot of these practices that had been proven by experience and and research. And I boiled them down into five buckets five practices that will help us build our resilience and therefore help us transform disaster into opportunity. So we could talk about those five issues. I I didn't want to interrupt you if you're about to go into it, but let's do that. Yeah. Okay. So I call this the comeback formula and it starts with the word come, which means come to a place of gratitude. 
We know from empirical research, lots and lots of studies, that gratitude is the antidote to almost any negative emotion. And when I did talk with our mutual friend Bruce Langford on his mindfulness mindfulness mode podcast, he said, what is your meditative, what is your mindful practice? And I said, gratitude, because that is what my friend who lost his garage lacked, right? He was so focused on what he'd lost that he couldn't focus on what he still had, which was so much more. So gratitude is the starting place for building resilience and transforming disaster into opportunity. If you can find something, however small, to be grateful for in a world of hurt, it will start to lift you out of the quicksand of bitterness and um, and negativity that my friend who lost his garage got trapped in, and it will begin the process of healing and growth. So that's the first of the five principles. Okay. And then the, the other four follow this acronym, B-A-C-K, for come back. B is two things. B is to be patient with the pain because, wow, if you get hit by a disaster, and let's just add to this definition here too, Brian, it doesn't have to be a wildfire. It doesn't have to be a hurricane or a tsunami. It doesn't have to be a fatal illness. It can be anything that derails your life temporarily, right? Yeah. Anything. Um, as I like to say, when you're a student trying to get into grad school and you flunk an exam, that feels like a disaster because your future's on the line now, right? Yeah, and and the severity of it to an to an extent with these things that you know we we sort of blow off like oh I didn't go through a wildfire I didn't go through a exactly. car crash or that's our choice whether we we blow it off or not but the reality is inside we tend to make a bigger deal about it than we're maybe letting on. So the, the so. less the lesson is right. there either way. You can still find resilience whether you think your story is big enough or not. Yeah, and you know what? That's interesting that you bring that up because I didn't talk about this for a long time because I didn't think my story was tragic enough. <laughs> well, because you survived and you survived. Didn't. So who are you? you know, to, yeah, that's right. And I think, well, geez, some some people lost their children in this, and I lost my stuff. So who am I to tell people how to come back? And then I found um, then I found Viktor Frankl, who was an Austrian psychiatrist who survived the Holocaust, although he he lost his entire family, and he was able to come out of that and and say that the last of the human freedoms is to choose our way forward, to choose our attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose our own way. And I resonated with that. And I thought, well, you know, if this works for Viktor Frankl, who has lost more than anyone I can imagine, it's got to be true. So um, I'm going to defer to him. So the B, where, where were we? We were on B and come back. The B is for be patient with the pain because no matter what the disaster, it's going to take a while to recover from it. There's a process. There's this grieving process that you go through for what was lost. And But the second part of the B is to believe that you can come back because guess what? We are all resilient. Resilience is in our DNA. We are part 
of a resilient universe and we will find the ability to come back, especially if we believe that it's there. So that's the B. The A is the tough part because A means accept help when it's offered to you and ask for it when you need it. Or I like to say be tough enough to ask for it when you need it because we don't like to ask for help, you know? Do you find yeah. that? Yeah, I'm literally, so I was on mute, but I was laughing when you said that. I was like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So many people won't won't ask for it and will blow it off, will refuse it when it's such a simple thing and could actually help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that um, prayer is part of this asking for help. And it's ironic that some people can be praying for help. In fact, there are jokes about this. And all sorts of help comes along, but they're waiting for the clouds to part and some the, the guy on the roof during the flood. Again, the that's yeah. the joke I was thinking. Three of, boats right? go by and then he drowns and <laughs> yeah. I was like, I sent three boats for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um prayers are also often answered through people um asking for help, accepting it uh, when it's offered to you speaks to connection and community, which are essentials in mm. resilience. They're essentials in recovery in the comeback journey. So it's really important to let yourself be supported by supportive people at this time, right? Yeah. And that includes asking for professional counseling if you need it. Bob and I did that short term right after the fire, and I really believe it helped us um, sort of uh, jumpstart our recovery. So now we're at C in B-A-C-K-C is right back to what we've already discussed, which is choosing your story. Again, you don't always get to choose what happens to you, but you do get to choose your response. You yeah. get to decide how you want to play this out. And I, again, would refer you to Viktor Frankl in his excellent book called Man's Search for Meaning. Beautiful book, takes about an hour and a half to read. And now we're to the last one, which is K. And K stands for keep moving forward. And what I mean by this is not just per persistence, not just one step at a time, but gradually detaching from this past that can no longer be a part of your life. It can't come back as much as you wish that it would. What you can do if you detach from this old normal is you can embrace the possibilities, the opportunities of a new future. And keeping Looking forward, keep moving forward also involves forgiveness. It's so critical to forgive anyone who had a part in your disaster, anyone you think had a part in your disaster. And that includes yourself. Forgiveness is really key to moving forward. So that is the comeback formula in five steps. Hmm. There's so much to that. I, I love that. And the forgiveness piece and the fact that you ended on the forgiveness of yourself that it, it's interesting. It's easy for people who are in the throes of being angry at someone to not see that they're not forgiving themselves. Mm -hmm. But usually once you've gone through that, you recognize mm -hmm. you're still left with you and you are holding some judgment upon yourself. Yeah. It's we pretty much, we all do it. You know, maybe not all of us all the time, but everyone has a moment where actually what they need to do is forgive themselves. And that's why, relationship issues or other difficulties in life are, are theirs because they're actually having some insecurity with themselves. Mm -hmm. And all of those disappointing moments are learning experiences, right? Yeah. And that's okay. You know, the, 
but it is, it's more than okay. It's, um, it's how we grow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the thing that I had to forgive myself for in the fire experience was that we were leaving so fast. And remember I was driving yeah. that, um, we didn't stop to close the garage door. I didn't stop to close the garage door. The power had gone out, so we couldn't use the garage door closer. Yeah. We would have had to do it by hand. And I was really in a hurry to get out of there. And so by leaving the garage door open, we really doomed the house because all the embers just flew right in there. But if I had stopped to close the garage door, I probably would have missed my bobcat. Yeah. So there's that. And and you may not have saved the house anyway. Probably would not have saved the house anyway. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's an easy thing for if an investigator were to look at it and say, oh, yeah, this is how the fire got inside to take the whole thing down. But what you don't know is might the garage door being closed have changed the way the wind was moving around the house. And so it would have burned a different way. You never know. And so you well, you can't that, know any of that. Yeah. But what we do know is that every house in our neighborhood but one burned. Yeah. And and regardless of the situation. So um yeah. And it was like ten years later that my one of my neighbors said to me, I can't believe you're still holding that against yourself. Mm. You know, let it let it go because it would have burst the windows. It would have done this. It would have done that. It was a blowtorch, right? It was yeah. being driven by 60 mile an hour winds. So, um, no, you're right. I probably would not have saved the house anyway. But it just left that that annoying doubt and that little tool to just needle myself with, you know? Sure. sure. I had to let go of that. I had to let go of that. I had to forgive the guy who started the fire and some people weren't able to do that. And I, I told him that I was able to talk with him at some of his court proceedings, the lost hunter who lit the signal fire and he did go to court and I was there because I was the reporter Yeah. and for my book. And, um, I had a chance to talk to him and I told him, that I forgave him. And he told me he was sorry about my house. Yeah. And I felt that we were square. And I don't know if it helped him any because he felt terribly guilty. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know if it helped him any that I forgave him, but it helped me. I'm sure. And it may not have helped him right then. But as he spends, I mean, if it took you 10 years to forgive yourself about the garage door, or at least to recognize yeah, it. At least three, yeah. Yeah, so then, you know, you got to think about w ultimately the responsibility that he's carrying. And maybe it's something that it's 30 years from today or whenever. That, I don't you know. know. But I, I honestly consider him another victim of the fire. Yeah. Um, because he does have to carry the guilt of all those houses, uh, 2,200, mm. 30-some houses, and all of those deaths yeah. um, as a result of his actions. Right, which was not, it's not from a place of maliciousness. He didn't. It, was, it wasn't. It may have been from a place of negligence, yeah. um, but it was certainly from a place of desperation because he got lost and it was hot and he ran out of water and he thought he was going to die and he probably would have 
And guess what? His signal fire worked. The sheriff's helicopter saw it and they um, they rescued him. But because of the conditions, because everything was so dry as it has been lately, because there was this big wind coming up, um, it turned out to be a catastrophic yeah. situation. Yeah. So I would love to share the comeback formula with that guy, but yeah. I doubt that I'll ever have an opportunity to. So I'm curious about how the comeback formula has applied to your own thoughts. So you talked about the self-forgiveness piece of it. Yeah. So that where, where's, where are you in the gratitude journey on, on your event, on your story? On my fire story? Yeah. Where's the gratitude side for you? The gratitude, well, it evolves, you know, at first, we were just so grateful to be alive. We were grateful we had our, our dogs and even Chelsea, the brainless cockatiel. I called her that because I took care of her and fed her and everything. And she only loved my husband. But we were just <laughs> grateful. It's Sorry. True. Well, it's so true. Um, he could call her from anywhere and she would chirp for him and I could call her all day and nothing. But that's another story. Yes. I was just grateful to have all those guys still in yeah. my life, right? Great. Uh, the gratitude started. We were grateful that we had good insurance. Um, most people were underinsured. Many people were uninsured. Most people had to fight their insurance companies. We didn't have any of those issues. We had plenty of insurance. We were able to rebuild. We were grateful for that. As time goes by, I've been grateful that the fire gave me an opportunity to write this book because I was a career journalist. I'd always thought I should really be writing a book, you know, mm -hmm. but I never could stick with it long enough. Well, this was the story that would not let me alone until I told it. And I, I did a tremendous amount of research. I did over a hundred interviews and then I had to knit all that together into one story. And the book actually came out on the 10 year anniversary of the fire. So it took a while and yet it got done. And I'm so grateful that I was faithful to that story and, and that I had that incredible story to tell that I was chosen as the steward of that story. I was yeah. grateful for that. Um, I'm grateful now that it happened at all. Mm -hmm. And this is from a distance of 15 years, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I'm grateful that it happened because without it, I don't know what my life would have been like. It would not have been as interesting, I don't think. I, I'm grateful that because of this event so long ago now that I have something to share when people call me and say, will you talk to my neighbor who just lost her house in this new fire? Yeah. Of course I will. Yeah, right? yeah. I, of course, I will tell her the very same thing we're telling our listeners today is, I know people are saying you're a victim, but that part you can control. You get to decide whether you're a victim or a survivor. And I'm betting that you're a survivor and that you're going to become a thriver. And someday you're going to become a giver who's going to be able to share with others from the wisdom and, and the expertise you're gaining right now from this event that you did not want to happen to you. And guess what? You might even become a changer. Because the people who change the world are the people we admire the most, and they are almost always people with some incredible disaster in their history. 
You think about the Dalai Lama, you think about Malala, you think about Nelson Mandela. These are people with incredible adversity that they have overcome. And now they've become world changers because they chose not to be a victim. So I'm grateful that I have this message that I can share. And I'm grateful for the ways that I continue to discover how it percolates down this gratitude, this resilience um, approach percolates down into all of the small areas of my life. And when I struggle with some of the issues that we're dealing with as a nation and as a planet, I come back to that and it sustains me. Wow. Um, I can see how the other points in come back fit into the story you're telling. And gratitude is the one I was really curious about what, mm-hmm. what specifically you're grateful for. And um, as, as most people do, I'm sitting here thinking of myself. <laughs> um, that's no, okay. but, that's so, so normal. But I, and I, but I, I hope that the listeners are as well, because I'm thinking about you know the journey that I've been on, and and one of the things that my wife and I say consistently is through her health situation, and you know this moment where she almost wasn't anymore. Um, neither of us would trade that. Neither of us mm-hmm. would go back on that because of what we've had as a result. Now, there are things that we, you know, it would be better if she wasn't in pain. It would be better if, you know, X, Y, Z didn't happen. Right. But it's like someone asked me a long time ago, do you wish I I didn't go to my first choice for college, my original first choice, I didn't get in. Um, It ended up not being my first choice, not just because I didn't get in, but the more I learned about it, it wasn't actually a fit for me. Anyway, so people were like, you know, do you regret not going there? Do you wish you had gone there? I said, well, even if I did, you know, did regret it, there's all these other dominoes. And today I have my wife, I have my son, I have this, I have that. I don't know Mm -hmm. that I'd have any of those things. And why would I question any experience I have if I'm grateful for what I have today? Yeah, that's that's so interesting, isn't it? Yeah, and it, phenomenon. people do fixate on these one little aspects like, oh, do you wish that this was different or that was different? And yeah, you, you can have the academic exercise, but if you're able to have gratitude and appreciation for your the, the sum total of your current situation, it's mm-hmm. a lot easier to stop questioning each and every little domino because you mm-hmm. wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't be where you are today. Most likely it's that the, um, butterfly effect or the idea of like going back in time where, you know, don't, don't touch anything. If you go back in time, because you don't know what'll happen today, (laughs) what you set off. Yeah. But when you start to think about it like that, it's why fixate on any one thing that, Oh, that was tough. Okay. And you're here today. The resilience, Mm -hmm. you know, you're, Mm -hmm. you're still here. So value that. You know, I want to tell you before we close about my dear friend, Rena, because, you know, I mentioned I was afraid to share this resilient thing because I, I knew people lost children. And Rena had that happen to her. Um, her 15-year-old son died of sudden cardiac death. Um, he was a high school athlete. They had no clue. Um, she was a nurse. She'd never heard of this um, the situation. It's caused by an undiagnosed arrhythmia. Yeah. And um, to me, and I think to most parents, that is the worst, right? That is the worst disaster we can imagine. 
And Rena was, of course, knocked flat by it. But she got up and she decided she was going to do something. And because she was a nurse and she knew these people in medical, um, um, you know, in, in medicine and in her hospital, she started a foundation for her in her son's honor. It's called the Eric Paredes Life. And she has since screened probably coming up on 25,000 kids for the kinds of abnormalities that um, that took her son and take 7,000 kids across the U.S. every year. That's Easily shocking. No idea. Isn't exactly. it shocking? Yeah. So, so the reason I'm sharing her story is because I had lunch with her just last week and she said, you know, I never would have believed it, but I'm happy now. I would give anything to have my son back. And I still miss him every second, but I'm actually happy now. And because of, because she made something of that situation, not just because it happened, Brian, but because she was resilient and she decided to transform disaster into opportunity, in her case, to leverage her own personal loss into a legacy for the world, because she decided that she had control over her story going forward. She has saved all these lives. She saved probably over 200 lives. And she has a meaningful, happy life now, still grieving for her son. But the two can go hand in hand. And we worry so much about things that may happen in the future. But what, what we learn, too, if we look at history, is that even disasters can become blessings. That's very true, very powerful, and hard for some people to see in the moment. But that's going back to your uh, your B point. Be patient with the pain. Yeah, you know, like it's not easy. Yeah. It's not easy. And I just struggled not wanting to sound flippant when I first started talking about this. And yeah. that is the part that I added with the consultation of people like Rena and others who had been through really deep personal losses of losing children and loved ones, being patient with the pain because the pain is a big part of it. And it's sometimes deep pain. Yeah. Wow. Um, there's, there's so much depth to what you shared today. I, I hope that people are actually really taking this in because the reality is like you said, you don't have to go through a fire like this, although that is quite... No, and I hope you don't. Right. <laughs> I really hope you don't. But it's also yeah. a commonly used metaphor. Everything's on fire or, you know, mm-hmm. it's all burning down around me. You literally were in that situation, but the the metaphor, the figurative use of it, these lessons apply whether you're talking about the real deal, something equally grave and profound, or a smaller fire that you feel like is burning a part of your life right now. Yeah. And that's, that's, I think one of the most important things is the people who are just saying like, oh, well, if I ever go through that, I'll keep this in mind. No, we all go through some form, some degree of this, whether it's a daily basis, you know, a a discrete thing or a bigger picture, the -hmm. lessons are, are valid no matter what the gravity of your situation. Right. So I gave you to my mind, the worst possible situation, which is losing a child. And let me give you a a lighter example on the other end of the scale. And honestly, 
I just realized this in the last, within the last couple of years, how many years has it been that I've been talking about this? 15 years. And I just realized in the last couple of years that this also applies for, for tiny little things. For example, um, somebody was mean to me, Brian, somebody hurt my feelings. Somebody said some really awful things about me and I was hurt by that. And I held on to it for a long time. And I wondered why other people didn't um, feel sorrier for me, if sorrier is even a word. And then I realized, you know what, Sandra, you are choosing to be a victim yeah. of this incident. It doesn't have to be a big disaster. It doesn't have to be a scary diagnosis. It doesn't have to be a death. If you are feeling slighted, if you are holding on to a grudge, you are choosing to play the victim. You are choosing the victim's story. And that was kind of a smack upside the head for me. Mm. And I realized, okay, this happened. It wasn't nice. It wasn't pretty. It shouldn't have happened to you. Yeah, it hurt. But you don't have to choose to let that have power over you. You can choose to be the survivor and to be the victor and to just move on and let it go. So maybe that will serve someone out there who's not dealing with a giant disaster, but to just see that these resilience principles are, um, are pretty universal. Yeah. Um, I'm not trying to plug my second book, which is not even fully written yet. So I can't. Oh, go it. ahead. But this, what is this it? ties Tell into us. the message. So just this weekend, um, I did a, a Ted talk on the, on the concept oh, wow. of the book. And it's about, it's about being the solution to a tough relationship. Mm. And one of the core ideas behind it is, is this choice we're talking about. And exactly what you just talked about is you may not choose for the person to have said what they said, um, you know, to attack you or made a, a rude comment or whatever it was. But how you brought it into yourself, how you processed it, how you responded and the power you let it have over you and the way you define right. yourself and your interaction with them as a result, whether it's hard or not, it's still a choice. So you can still be resilient. You can still choose how that story is written. Mm -hmm. You can choose how you want to turn that into a story. And what we often do is we put things into existing stories, right? We put new data into existing stories. And this is how conspiracy theories get going, is that we take all of these different data points and we decide, oh, well, that's because of this story we already have in our heads. Well, it might not be that way at all. We have this, um, this sort of innate Oh, this, what would it be? It's a, it's a neural net in our brains, actually. It's a physiological thing that processes all data. And we try to put it into a story. We process all data in terms of story. So we try to put everything into an existing story, mm. whether it's valid or not. And there may be a totally different explanation for it. Right. You know, our brain how many is looking times for the connections. Our brain is looking for the connection. Exactly. Good way to put yeah. it. Much better than the way I put it. Yeah. So we can see that as, well, that person hates me. And we do this all the time. Oh, she didn't text me back. She must hate me. Well, yeah. or she could be at the dentist, you know? <laughs> yeah. So we get to choose that story and we get to, um, 
leave a little space. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Sandra. Well, good luck with your th- new book. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. I'm, I want you to, to share, you, you mentioned the fire outside my window, your book. Um, you talk about the, the comeback, the, the five practices, and I know you have something that people can use to get through that as well. Where can people right. find you? Where can they find your work? Because basically everybody, I'm not, I'm not trying to hard sell you here, but everybody needs this message. There is no one who this, whose life this doesn't apply to. Oh, well, thank you. Um, people can find me online at sandrayounger.com, and that's S-A-N-D-R-A-Y-O-U-N-G-E-R.com. The Fire Outside My Window is the name of my book. It's on Amazon, Fire Outside My Window. And what I love to offer people is uh, a short guidebook to the comeback formula that includes everything we've talked about here, plus some of the science behind these principles, plus a little bit of story, plus some real exercises that you can do to implement these ideas into your life. So they're not just fuzzy thoughts that go in one ear and out the other. We have to actually practice things to absorb them and make them a part of our lives. So I've got some exercises there. It's called the Comeback Formula Guidebook, and you can find it also on my website, sandrayounger.com. Just scroll down a couple of panels and you'll see a cover image and uh, a click here button, and it will take you to a complimentary online version of the complete guidebook. I used to try to print it and sell it. And I decided, you know what? I just want people to have this information. So I made it available as a complimentary flip book at sandryunger.com. I would love to, Brian, invite people to contact me if they want um, to hire me as a speaker or a workshop leader, if they want to learn more about resilience and the comeback formula. So I'm available for that too. That's great. And uh, I think they... You shared a lot, but this is one little piece of it. And there's also something to be said for having you standing up there in front of everyone, sharing this message and the story live. Yeah, there's a, a power so that much comes fun. That. Yeah. yeah, that's so much fun just to connect with people. And it's so gratifying, too. And I know you probably have the same experience as a speaker when people come up and say, wow, that really touched me. Yeah. Podcasts are great. <laughs> so yeah. It's, there's something about seeing the person live telling a story True. like that. that uh, I love to meet yeah. with people live. Excellent. Sandra, thank you so much for the time. I really, really appreciate, um, you know, you, you going through what you've gone through and the choices that you've made to put that out for others, the lessons, the really inspiring message. So I'm so thankful that you came on today. Brian, I'm thankful for you and your invitation to... Um, to join your podcast. Thanks for everything you do. You want to help me close it out? Sure. All right. Today is a new day. Go out and do it. Awesome. Thank you, Sandra. Oh, I, I still just can't get over this image I have in my head of being in her shoes. And of course, I have no clue what it was really like. But, you know, it's just, you, you feel it, right? And if she can be resilient, if she can get to a place of gratitude and have gone through the steps that she talks about in the comeback formula, even with what she went through. You know, there's death all around her. They lost everything. And to come to a place where you feel like, actually, maybe you didn't lose everything, and you start to focus more on what you have today and how you've grown from it and what 
you know, just you can be thankful for instead of harping on the bad, instead of, um, you know, living with guilt or regret or judgment. It's just, it's so powerful. And again, it's like, you know, what she went through was so extreme and yet she's in this place. So maybe I can get there too. I mean, that's, I think that's what everyone should be thinking and feeling. So I'm so thankful I got to get to know Sandra and share her and, and her story with you. Um, I hope that you really appreciated hearing about it. You should definitely go to SandraYounger.com. Get the Comeback Formula Guidebook. Um, it's so valuable. I mean, you just got a little taste of it here. You should definitely go pick it up. And if you want to hear more about her story, check out The Fire Outside My Window. I'll link to it in the show notes. and You can pick up a copy of it. It's an incredible book, incredible story. And again, like, yeah, she talked about what happened, but that doesn't even scratch the surface. You got to read the book. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Do A Day podcast. I hope that this is inspiring you and pushing you and getting you to think about how you can do better in your life, how you can be better in your life, how you can overcome those challenges that are holding you back and don't need to. All right, guys, I'm going to head out. Today's a new day. Go out and do it.